Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Man, meet me in Exodus chapter number 31. Exodus chapter number 31. Amen. Thankful for the spirit of the Lord. People's participation in what they're feeling and experiencing. Amen. Exodus 31, we are after service tonight honoring our graduates. Amen. From high school and and uh, my wife's in the group as well as for certification for biblical counseling and such. And so we're honoring them here this evening. And a few weeks back, my mind started spinning around this concept of graduates and so on and so forth. And so in essence tonight, what I'm about ready to preach could be for the graduates, but be for any of us, but it could be for the graduates that they would lean in and listen. Amen. Here tonight, Exodus 31, I want to begin with verse number one. And uh, I feel a little bit with Bishop, a little disjointedness of thoughts here and there feel like I have a mess praying God will turn it into a message amen uh, but this has been weighing upon my heart here over the past few weeks and particularly uh, for this evening the Bible says in verse number one and the Lord spake unto Moses saying see I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah and I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass, in the cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom. This is God speaking to Moses. That they may make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle of the te- congregation and the ark of the testimony. The mercy seat that is thereupon and all the furniture of the tabernacle. And the table and his furniture and the pure candlestick with all of his furniture and the altar of incense. And the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture and the laver in his foot. And the cloths of service and the clothes of service the holy garments the cloths of service and the holy garments for Aaron and the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded thee shall they shall they do God is saying he picks to these men in particular calls him by name Bezalel and Aholiab says Moses I've called them they have wisdom understanding knowledge of all these things they're able to work in silver and brass and wood and stone they're able to embroider they're able to do these various things and there's some like them as well he says but I've given them the ability to do that for the purpose in some way they can incorporate that and serve in making what I've commanded you. That shall they do. 
This evening, I want to minister this, the workmanship of a man. Or if you're a lady, you can make it fit. The workmanship of a woman. But the workmanship of a man. Amen. Uh, for, the, for the sake of graduates tonight that are leaving high school and endeavoring to go to some secondary schooling, maybe a college or a university or others that are investing into the workforce. Uh, come, hopefully, with the Spirit of the Lord to be able to say that the tendencies and talents and abilities that God has given you and those that will even be honed from this point forward, it is absolutely essential that you discover how you can take those and use them for the kingdom of God in order to facilitate his glory and his presence. And so I was never a valedictorian or salutatorian, but this is my graduation speech tonight. Amen. The workmanship of a man. Hallelujah. Father, I love you right now. God, I need you, Jesus, in this place. God, anoint my mind and my lips. God, every individual, Lord, that's setting, Lord, under the sound of my voice tonight. God, I pray, Lord, let heaven speak through his word. God, you can use, the Lord God, this vessel of clay. God, I pray, Lord, so be it. God, for everyone that's gathered here, but, Lord, particularly for those, God, who graduated from some type of system, Lord God, to enter on into another segment of their journey of life. I pray, oh, God, that you're able to help us, Lord Jesus, afresh and anew by your spirit. God, it will not fail to thank you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen of the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. The Lord has, has been with a constant, as it would seem, conversation with Moses almost from Exodus 20 onward all the way up to this point of time. Moses has had the time that he has gathered the children of Israel round about the base of the mount of God that smoked and was with fire and with lightnings and thunderings from the heavens. God would speak to the people and speak to Moses and God would direct Moses concerning what those ten precious commands that he had for his people were. He would go on and speak to Moses from that location concerning other laws and other regulations concerning servants and maidservants and what should be done in this, this instance or that instance if, if there was offense among the people. What would be done concerning restitution for land or for people. So on and so forth. Some of the elementary things concerning etiquette and ethics among the people. And the festivals that were to be looked after. God would speak to Moses from there. But then he would call him from the base of the mountain up to the top of the mountain leaving seemingly everybody else behind and the nation of Israel behind. And it was on that mountaintop that Moses would spend 40 days and 40 nights with God there. And God would relay to Moses in that setting on top of the mountain all the offerings that would pertain to the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was there that he would give him very, very uh, important details, minute details concerning the construction of all of the furniture of the tabernacle, all of the details concerning the construction of the tabernacle himself, what the dimensions were of each piece, their height and their width and their breadth, 
he would tell him the type of materials that he should use and how those materials should uh, be put together if one was to overlay the other, so on and so forth. He would tell him the ordering and the organizing of all of the furniture that was in that tabernacle. He's very detailed with Moses concerning all of these things, the structure, uh, the boards, the bars, the gates, the veils, the embroidery, the material to the minutest detail. He would speak to Moses on the top of that mountain concerning these things. And thus, he would continue to tell him about all of the garments of the priest and what it was they were to wear and the material that those things were to be made up of, those things that were to adorn the high priest Aaron and his sons and what would be required for them and how all of their consecration should to should take place and ought to take place and again all the offerings the meat offerings the burn offerings the peace offerings the grain offerings the five different offerings he would tell him all of the minute details concerning those offerings in the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ but not only did God give Moses every instruction concerning the law during his 40 days on that mount. Not only would he give him every detail about the design and the construction of the tabernacle during those 40 days, but in chapter 31 of Exodus, in addition to all of that, God would let Moses know that I have a people in mind with certain skills, with certain abilities, with certain tendencies, aptitudes, if you will, for accomplishing the purpose of building this tabernacle in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, he mentioned at least two. There were more as we read the scriptures, but two that would be the heads of all of this. There would be Bezalel that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aholiab, these two men that had some skill sets that would be very important very, very useful for the construction of the tabernacle. When we read concerning Bezalel, he was a man that could and had the ability, the skills to work in metal. He could work with brass and silver and gold. He could work with woods, with carving woods or honing woods. He, he could work with stone, with cutting stone and chiseling stone. He had a special skill set, God said, amen, that he could use for the construction of the tabernacle. A holy ab, he says this is a man that has some skills he has some skills that he can deal in textiles and fabrics and he's a, he's a perfect weaver and embroiderer if you will of these fabrics of linen and scarlet and purple and blue and he could put cherubims on the veil for you which I've asked if you wanted him to because he has a aptitude he has a tendency toward that and we could use that tendency we could use that skill set we could use those things for the purpose of of the tabernacle of the Lord. He goes on and he speaks of these two by name, each of these names of these two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, both of their names, the meaning of their names, allude to God being their protection. Bezalel means in the shadow of God or under God's protection, which would suggest that uh, Bezalel, his parents were more than likely in Egypt going through the cruelties of the suffering of Egyptian bondage whenever to them were born as it was this child. Seemed as though they were under a cloud of suffering, but in actuality they were in the shadow of God and they had put their trust in Him. And the Lord, even in the midst of 
of their bondage and the cruelty and the rigor that they served with, God was the protection for them and the protection for their family and those that were born from their womb. Aholiab means tent of the father or the father is my protection. And so we have two boys whose names seem to harmonize concerning God being their protector. God being their shadow. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 32 in 10, in speaking of Israel, it says that he found him, speaking of Israel, in a desert land. And in the waste howling wilderness, he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Speaking of David in Psalm 17 and 8, the Bible says, Keep me, David is saying, keep me, Lord, as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thine wings. And so the apple of the eye, just walk with me here. Been a while since I've used the phraseology, but walk with me. The apple of the eye is, is what we would denote as the eyeball or the globe of the eye with our pupil in the center of it. That pupil there, according to scripture, it was the apple of the eye because of its apparent round shape that is in our eyes. The apple of the eye or that pupil is protected by the closing of the eyelid. The actual phrase in scripture, the apple of the eye can be literally translated as the little daughter of the eye or the little man or the little woman of the eye. And what that is referring to is this, that it doesn't matter, Pat, however tall you are, or me, for instance, if someone is looking at the 6'2", amen, 6'2", frame here of 203 pounds, if they're looking at me and someone is looking in that person's eye while they are looking at me, they will see the image of that 6'2", frame, 203 pounds, landed reflecting upon the apple or the pupil of that individual's eye. And so they would speak of that as the little man or the little woman of the eye because of that image being right there upon the pupil of the eye. In other words, these people being under Bezalel and Aholiab, being under the protection or in the protective spot of God, the apple of God's eye, that simply implies by their names and suggests to me that if they were in the apple of God's eye, God must have had an eye. God must have been looking at or staring at Bezalel and Ohiolib because evidently, he says, I see they have some skill sets. I see they have some abilities. I see they have some tendencies and aptitudes that I can employ for the purpose of constructing the temple of God. Someone say amen. And we all must remember why God wanted the people to make him a sanctuary to deal to, uh, in the first place. He said, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. In other words, God says, I know two men that have some skills and talents and abilities that I want to employ so that my presence can come bound and be among my people. He says, I have, I have... Whenever he spoke in Jeremiah concerning Israel, he says, I have plans for you. He says, I got some plans for you to be a part of my plan. Someone say amen. 
And so when we understand this, we look at Bezalel and we look at Ohio, or rather Aholiab. Amen. I'll probably do that more than once, make a mistake. But Bezalel was of the tribe of Judah. When we consider this man being of the tribe of Judah, Judah was one of the strongest tribes, one of the most influential tribes. Amen. It was spoken of Judah. Amen. It was spoken of Judah. Amen. Thou art he whom thy brother shall praise. We know him to be praise. Judah, the Bible says, prevailed above his brethren. Amen. The tribe of Judah was a very, very famous tribe. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all came from the tribe of Judah. Jesus Christ himself is spoken of as being the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's, there's a lot of notoriety, if you will, with the tribe of Judah. Bezalel, he himself is the great-grandson of Caleb, whose name means capable, and that Caleb that I'm speaking about that was the great grandson that that Bezalel was the great grandson of was also the grandfather of another Caleb two different Caleb's the Caleb that was the spy that said let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it this is the type of heritage that this Bezalel has I mean it's painting a very good picture he has he has good stock if you will amen to be what God is wanting him to be has good stock he's the son the Bible says of her that her who along with Aaron accompanied Moses up on the mount and that whenever Moses' hands were in the air there was victory being won out upon the battlefield but when they start to drop there was no victory it was her, her and Aaron that kept his hands up amen and because of their persistence and, and a tribe of praise if you will all these things was a part of the ancestry of Bezalel. So we think, man, he has a rightful, no doubt God would want somebody like Bezalel. He's of the tribe of Judah. He has good heritage. Daniel and the three boys are a part of his history or a part of the ancestry. Jesus Christ himself was of the tribe of Judah. This is good stuff. However, the Bible says of Aholiab, he was of the tribe of Dan, one of the least influential least honorable tribes. When it was spoken, the blessing upon the tribe of Dan, they said, he is as a serpent by the way, an adder in the path. He bites, he bites the heels of the horses, caused the riders to fall back. Now folks, that's vastly different than, and his brethren shall praise him. <laughs> that's vastly different than his brother shall praise him. But this, this, was, this was the lot of Dan. And evidently, according to Scripture, the tribe of Dan and many of those of Dan never overcame this. They never overcame this. As a matter of fact, later in the listings of the tribes, Dan starts to be, he's omitted. He's not among them. He's not listed with them. At different places in Scripture, such as Leviticus, we hear of one of the tribe of Dan that is heard blaspheming the name of the Lord and cursing. Folks, that is like one of the, I mean, that's a bad thing. That's a big thing not to do. And yet this is of the tribe of Dan. In Judges 19, it speaks of the tribe of Dan that whenever the temple of God was at Shiloh, that the tribe of Dan was setting up Micah's graven image. Now, this is not something you want to be associated with. Yet whenever God was speaking to Moses on the mount, Bezalel didn't know this yet, or Aholiab didn't know this yet. But God says, I've called Bezalel, and I've called Aholiab because I've given them some skills for a purpose. 
And it doesn't matter what their ancestry has been like. It doesn't matter what their past has been like. It doesn't matter what their families have tried to place upon them. I've given them something. I've come to tell this people together tonight and the graduates together tonight. It doesn't matter what your past has looked like from this point backward. But it's that God in heaven has uttered your name in the mind of the leader and said, I want them because I've given them some things, some tendencies, some skill sets that I want to incorporate in my kingdom. Someone say amen. God told Moses, he says, I've called by name Bezalel. I've given him some inclination. You got to understand this tonight. These things, these things were not just something these men got on their own. But these were things that God, tendencies, if you will, that God placed inside of these men. He says, I've given him some inclination, some aptitude toward a certain skill set for a primary purpose. He can work in gold. He can work in silver. He can work in brass. He can cut stones. He can set stones. He can carve timber. And I've given him wisdom. And I've given him understanding. And I've given him knowledge in many areas of wisdom workmanship and Moses listen to me Moses I want you to know that this boy could go anywhere I want you to know that these men could go anywhere and use that skill any place for any purpose any there's people out there looking for good stone setters There's people out there looking for people that know how to work some brass and know how to work some gold. There's some people out there looking for somebody that can cut timber and set timber. He could use that anywhere. He could use that in Egypt. He could use that over in Gilead. He could use that down in the valley by the river. He could use that a lot of places and he could succeed in various areas. Amen. That would require him to use those same skills and those same knowledge. He could even be doing this for a living. And they probably were. He could be using this to make himself a a living by utilizing the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding I've given him. Someone say amen. He says, but my purpose goes beyond just for him making a living. My purpose, the reason why I gave it to him, I'm glad he can make a living with it. I'm glad he's had the tendency toward this or that. And he's able to go to school and able to hone that and able to grow that. Amen. And able to make a living at that. But my purpose wasn't just that. My purpose was so that he could take those skills and incorporate them in making a place for my presence. Listen to me tonight, folks. You, 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 people that graduated, people in any lot in life, if God has given you tendencies and aptitude in certain areas of your life, that isn't just for the purpose of making a living. But what you got to do whenever God has given you that, go on and make your living. Go on and get your degree. Go on and make your money. But don't forget to discover how you can use that in the kingdom. Don't forget to discover how you can take that and incorporate it somehow in making a place for the presence of God. 
climb the corporate ladder, get at the highest rank you can, but come then every once in a while on a second and a fourth Sunday and teach some leadership to the church. Amen. See and discover how you can take those skills and those sets and incorporate them in the present and in the Moses, God's talking to Moses, Bezalel, and Aholiab are who they are. And they do what they do skillfully so that they can do what I've commanded thee to be done. That was the jest of the Lord in verse 6. He says that they may make all that I have commanded. If they get a good paying job with it, great. That's an add-on to the purpose. I've heard, I've heard Brother Mason more than one time where he's talking about his mu- musicians over time that we've had musicians come through. He's always told them because we've had some talented musicians stand on this platform and play and so on and so forth. And his words constantly to them is this. He said, I pray that if you ever leave the church that you'd lose your talent that you'd lose your ability to play. You know what he's getting at? He's getting at this. That which was given to you was given to you from God. And it's if it's to succeed anywhere, it's to succeed in the kingdom. It's to succeed in making an atmosphere for his pr- and so if you know math and you know silence and you know science and you know derivatives or if you're good at English and grammar, all that's good. Be a journalist. Write articles in the newspaper. Do everything you can do to find out, amen, quantum physics. That's fine. That's okay. But whenever it comes to the church house, find out how you can use that math to build the kingdom. Find out how you can use that science to build the kingdom. Find out. There's business leaders sitting on, on, on church pews that they give up their time and their knowledge for the purpose of the church. There's lawyers sitting on church pews that give up their abilities to the church, giving them fin- not financial but lawful advice. There's accountants sitting on church pews that's helping give guidance, amen, with the church books. There's all these different things and the kingdom of God needs them. And God said, I called them by name. I called them by name because I know their tendency. I know their skill. But the ultimate purpose is for that to be incorporated in the work of God. God told Moses, Moses, I position people in your life, Moses, to do what I've commanded thee to do. According to all I've commanded thee, he says, shall they? Referring back to Bezalel and Aholiab, I've commanded they shall do. Now look at this. Look at this. I know you thought you was born smart. But you wasn't. I know you thought you was born intelligent. You wasn't. It's not in your G-E-N-E-S. It's in your J-E-S-U-S. Church abounding or not, 
The Bible says, look at this. I looked at the scripture again. It brought it back to my mind. But I, I thought, God, how does this even apply? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17, he says, and thou shalt say in thine heart, my power, everybody say my power, and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. In verse 18 he says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he, everybody say he, that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And I've used this in tithing and offerings, teaching that stuff. The Lord giveth thee power, he giveth thee strength, he giveth thee a health. I always said he gives you health in order to get wealth. But whenever I looked up the word power, the word power goes further than just vigor. It goes further than just strength. It goes to the degree of capacity and ability. He said, when you think by your own power and your own might, you've gotten wealth. He says, in reality, I've given you the vigor. I've given you the strength. But I've also given you the capacity and the ability. I've given you the skill. I've given you the skills to get wealth. Someone say amen. See, that's very important because whenever we come to the people making a tabernacle, making a sanctuary so God could dwell among them, when we come to that, we read, we know very particularly that God gave the design, God gave the pattern, God gave the dimensions, God gave them concerning what type of material was to be used, but there were two things that he required of the people. Number one, you read in Exodus 25, he says in order for us to have gold, people, you're going to have to bring the gold. If we're going to have the silver, if we're going to have the linen, if we're going to have the purple, the scarlet, all that, he says you, I'll tell you what the material what type of material we need but you got to bring the material so number one the people had to bring the material and number two the people had to do the work he says I got every detail down I got the design down I got the order and the organization of it down but I need a people to bring material and to do the work People that would do the work that was according to their several abilities. A God-given, God-honed ability. Now, everybody know okay? I'm not done. It may be safe to assume tonight, folks, that Bezalel and Aholiab Received their education. Monopolized on their tendencies. Of artistry and engraving and textile work. Quite possible. Read the time. It's quite possible that these boys could have honed those skills. In Egypt. They very well may have studied trained hands in the land of Egypt. Took something they already had a bend toward. While they're trying to make the structures of Egypt, they said that one there would be good for hewing stone, and this one over here, he, he could probably embroider. And those skills were further honed in, dialed in, by being trained by the hands of Egypt that had done similar type of work. Listen, listen to pastor tonight. If that be the case, although their skills, or might I say, although their education may have blossomed 
from Egypt. Their God wanted their service for the building of the sanctuary that he might dwell among his people. Work for any company you want to. Go to some of the biggest or the smallest colleges. Get whatever major you want to invest yourself in. And although you might hone your skill in the world, God wants you to apply your skill in the church. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not telling you not to make a living. But I'm telling you while you're making a living, don't forget to start living and continue living and set a platform for living for others that come after you because you're building up the house, the sanctuary of God, where his presence. See, I've been joking with my wife because I always thought she had a gift and a talent toward this counseling stuff. I told her that. I told her, uh, Sister Vouch, that, uh, that that was a psychological counselor at Deluge. I told her that. And that's whenever this whole journey started a biblical counseling. I've teased with my wife during the process of this. And it's not a tease. It's going to happen sooner or later, eventually. So once you get your bachelor's degree, once you get your master's degree, I want you to open a practice. I'm going to retire from pastoring. Now, that would be the side of making a living. I kid you not. Sister Bow, she was saying that she was close to a millionaire, a multimillionaire at Deluge. I'm serious. That's great. But you know what she does? She goes to places like Deluge, churches, so on and so forth. Remember, she first went to her pastor. She asked her pastor. Before she ever had any of this, she asked her pastor. She says, what is the, where do you need help? What is the greatest thing? Well, how could I facilitate? How can I be of greatest blessing to you? He says, I need somebody to help me with the people with the problems, situations that come on the people. And she invested the next 11 years of her life to get two, she got two bachelor's degree, master's in theology. What? Master in psychology and master in theology for the next 11 years. Now, she didn't do that for the purpose of making money, although her husband told her, said, you're the best investment I ever made, honey. <laughs> she did it for the purpose of taking those things and bringing it back and investing it in the house of God where his presence comes down and dwells among the people. So and say amen. Walk with me. As time went by, tabernacles finished. Ark of Testimonies finished. Brazen laver finished. Brazen altar finished. Golden altar finished. Table of shoe bread Candlestick, all that, finish. All the instruments that goes with those, finish. As time went by, the people would come to understand that only really one time a year on the Day of Atonement would the high priest typically go in before the Ark of the Testimony with blood from a sacrifice to offer it there. Okay. As a matter of fact, they would come to understand that the custom was or the way things were ordered was Prior to them traveling to their next place and pitching the tabernacle and putting all the furniture in it, prior to traveling, that it would normally only be the high priest and his sons that could go into the holies of holies where the Ark of Testimony was and the veil that led into the holies of holies that was made of blue and purple and scarlet and linen embroidered with cherubims, which a holy ad probably touched. It was only prior to traveling that they would go in and take that veil and lay it over 
the ark of testimony made of shittim wood overlaid with gold which Bezalel made. And they would put that other covering of badger skins over it. And they would put a whole blue cloth over it. And they would set the staves in the, in the rings on each side of the Ark of the Covenant. And would come out. And then the Kohathites, which was a branch of the Levites, would come in not touching the Ark of the Covenant. But just putting their shoulder under the staves would come out and bear it to its next location. Because men had died by touching the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, Ed's at one time died because he touched it. But a little known fact is this. Bezalel had touched it before God's presence had. More plainly, Bezalel touched it so God's presence would touch. I'm not saying that to try to exalt a man. I'm not trying to say that to place him in a place of unmerited favor or unmerited favor upon a man. But I'm saying it to emphasize that the importance of a man's workmanship involved in the kingdom. There's people standing out here saying, man, I wish I was the high priest to be able to go in and put that veil over there and a a holy, oh golly, let's get it straight. A holy ab said, well, that veil that's touching the ark, I had my own hands on that. I put that little blue and that little purple and that little linen through there. I embroidered those cherubims on there. Why did you do that? Because God gave me a tendency. God gave me a skill set. And he said, I can employ you in this work. He said those voices, and man, I wish I was those Levites if I could just get under a stave, amen, and just be close to the ark. Bezalel says, my hand touched every piece of wood. I melted down the gold, had it flow on the inside, flow on the outside. You... It was given the responsibility of Bezalel to make the Ark of the Testimony made of shittim wood. The instruction of God, length, two and a half cubits. Breadth, one and a half cubits. Right? What height? One and a half cubits. Overlay that thing, that shittim wood with pure gold, within and without. Put a crown of gold across the top of it. Put four rings at each corner of it so that the staves that are made of shittim wood overlaid of gold can go in it. Every square inch of that thing. Bezalel had his hands on before God's presence ever touched him. Not only that, he was instrumental. He was responsible for the mercy seat that went on the ark. Yeah. Same dimensions concerning the length and the breadth. And he made the two cherubims that were on either end of the mercy seat that were made out of beaten gold. He made sure that their wings touched. He made sure that their wings touched whenever he made it. He made sure their eyes were gazing down, gazing down upon that piece of furniture. And so while God decided the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the furniture and what 
type of materials it would be and use and he put everything in order and an organization in the tabernacle and he laid down all the dimensions and the minute details of the tabernacle while God did all that God used the workmanship of a man to bring it to fruition he says I'll give every detail I'll give every dimension but I need the workmanship of a man And this blows my mind more than anything. God, at the finishing of all that, whenever he told Moses how it was all to be, and no doubt insinuating it would take the, the, the workmanship of a man, he said in Exodus 25, 22, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, and he said, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat and between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of Testimony. What are you saying, God? God, there, he said, where the blood has been sprinkled, there, where the oil has been sprinkled, there, that place that God designed and God prescribed, but where the workmanship of man was employed, that's where I'll meet with you. Can I tell you that God's presence coming down in a sanctuary upon the earth did not all just lean upon the prescription, the design, and the order of God. It also depended upon the workmanship of men and the workmanship of women that says, I got a talent, I got a skill that I can employ in the work of God. said there where my presence will be that place where the workmanship of a man has taken place because I've given him skills for the work that I have someone say glory there is no ivory tower folks there might not be ever an office building or a business transaction I'll be, ever, be, be able to ever attest maybe to the presence of God. May never be, maybe some people feel it every once in a while, but may never be any type of intricate traffic flow pattern that's designed by a civil engineer that will experience the presence of God. It's like, wow, look how all those things just go together and it allows a land to dysfunction like it does. Whew. There might be no culinary artist or some chef of that any degree that could say, you know what, God just came down while I was making this cake. There may be some perhaps in healthcare, a few other professions that could share stories of divine intervention and surgeries maybe, things of that nature. But the thrust of the message that we're trying to surrender here tonight is this, a God-given tendencies owned by secular education God says it's for the purpose of my work. And need to be discovered how those things can help facilitate a place for my presence. If you can stand with me, I'll come to a close. God, given skills and abilities, 
and almost start picking up on some of them as your kids start to grow. Certain skills, certain abilities, certain tendencies. You know, you hear people say, well, they got a gift, you know, for such and such. And everybody's is different. But over time, if honed, they could really materialize into something for their livelihood. But most importantly, God says, for the kingdom. And I close with this, so don't check out too early just because I say I'm closing. I'm reading the scriptures this week at one time. Deuteronomy 13 screamed out to me. And what Deuteronomy 13 entails, it's only 18 verses. What it entails is this, is that he had constantly up to this point in time, this is the book of remembrance, Deuteronomy, Moses telling the people of God, do not forget the Lord your God that brought you out of bondage. It's a constant thing. He's constantly telling them, obey the statutes and the commands of the Lord your God. Observe them, learn, listen to them. It's three things that he often says to them. And he comes to a certain place there in, in Deuteronomy 13, and he starts this chapter, and he basically says this. He says, if there is a prophet or a dreamer of dreams that comes and says something to you, and that prophecy comes true, and that dream comes to pass, but that prophet or that dreamer says something in such a way to try to turn you from the Lord your God, he says, you just need to get rid of that prophet and that dreamer. Put them to death. Regardless if their prophecy came true. Regardless if their dream came true. If they're trying to deter you from the way of the Lord, he said, put them to death. And then he goes on to talk about family relationships. If you have a brother or a sister, a father or a mother, you have any of these people that are a part of your family, and they, they try to tell you to come serve some other gods. He says, don't, don't you give in to them. Don't listen to them. Don't show them any pity. Don't, don't spare them. You, you can't conceal their guilt. He says, you got to take them out, and you got to stone them. you got to put them to death. And then he says, if you go into a town, and the people of that town, you know, if, if, if the overall message of that town is, let's go after other gods, he says, you burn the town down. He says, you get rid of the town. He said, let it be a room. Let it never be built again. And so as I'm reading through all this, Brother Fred, verse after verse, and I'm reading this, Brother Zach, God is pounding something into my mind. And he's saying this, the overarching message of Deuteronomy 13 is this, that if there's ever anyone or anything that's trying to turn you away from God or the way that God has marked, you got to eliminate it from your life. Why are you saying that, Brother McGee? Because we got talented people. We got skilled people. Further honing of that, whether it be by work or whether it be by education, further honing of that's going to make that, their, their skill and their work that much more precise, that much more valuable. And some may be tempted to make a living without living for God. Brother Terry, if anything ever comes up in life, whether it's a thing or a person, and it's trying to detract you 
from his place in his presence. Listen to pastor tonight. Every graduate, listen to me. You better eliminate it from your life. But the prophecies, prophet came true. Great. Here's two, 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 two prong effect about deciding about the truthfulness or the validity of a prophet. Number one, yes. They say if his prophecy comes true, he's a true prophet. That's one prong. The other prong is this. Is he telling you to keep intact concerning the things of the Lord? Because it's not either or, it's both or none. Everything that glitters is not gold. And everything that gives promises, if it's a promise at the expense of investing your skills and making a place where his presence comes down, no go. No go. There's been a lot of talented people leave the church. There's been a lot of people who have special skill sets that God had given them left the church. Because someone or something. And they are on a road of apostasy. They're on a road without God. Having ignored God. The very God that gave them the skill to begin with. To incorporate in his house. And making a living or those other things were just a byproduct. God wants to incorporate the workmanship of a man. Or the workmanship of of a woman who knows what God has in this generation that he wants some of you to touch before he touches with his presence who knows some of the material that he wants you to devise and piece together before he shows up in the middle of it but he needs the workmanship of a man and the workmanship of a woman can we bow our heads in this place Oh, holy God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.